Thank you. Hi, how you doing? Happy New Year. Yeah? Yeah, I hope you guys are feeling good. Hey, uh, if you're sitting way in the back or maybe you're walking in late and you're like, man, Jim let himself go over the holidays. I'm not Jim. Uh, my name's Zach. And uh, I know, I'm the campus pastor here in Lafayette. And uh, usually I'm up here and I'll make some jokes about, you know, football or how great the Nuggets are, how great are the Nuggets, or uh, talk about chilies if I had a particularly rough Saturday night. But uh, this week, I, I'm excited because I get to talk to you guys for just a couple minutes about what God's up to in my life. So I want to say welcome and also say hi to everybody online. Join us from around the world, everywhere that you guys are. Um, some, some people tell me and from time to time that I talk too fast, and I know some of you are in here, so I'm making an, an effort. I'm going to slow down just a little bit today and do my best uh, to not do that. Um, I want to acclimate you guys to who I am a little bit before I get going. Uh, Friday night, my wife and I celebrated our 16th wedding anniversary. My wife's name's Josie. I know, 16 years. <laughs> Crazy. Um, and my wife's wonderful. Josie is uh, the, the most patient, kind, loving human being in the world, and I can't, I'm, I can't claim to always be that, so I'm really lucky. We have three kids. Uh, this is them. Uh, that's Emmy on the left, Smith's in the middle, and Zane's on the right, and I love them. I never knew I could love a human being like I love these kids, and they also uh, drive me absolutely crazy. So that's our kids. We have a really great life, a really imperfect life, but a really great life, and uh, I, love that. I love that God gave me this life. My job here in Lafayette, uh, if you've always wondered what's he actually do when he's not just talking about chilies and, and stuff like that, is uh, I'm in charge of our staff here. And so I, I kind of just foster what it looks like to have community. We, we, have, we used to only have this campus. A lot of you remember those days where if you went to Flatirons, you came to, to Lafayette and that's where you were. And then we opened a couple more and a couple more and we're about to open our sixth this year. Uh, and so at some point, Jim was like, we really need to figure out what it looks like to, to foster that community in Lafayette and make Lafayette a campus. So I don't know, a little bit more than a year ago, I came here and uh, I get to work with the best staff in the world here at Lafayette. I can't believe how lucky I am every single day to be with the people that I'm with. Uh, I love every moment of leading that staff and being with them. So most of my job looks like that. I also do some weddings, I do some funerals, and I say over the last season, funerals have become something that I do more and more, and I did about 15 of them last year. We just had one this week for somebody that, that I really loved that was a really amazing woman, uh, and they're hard, but they're really good. And one of the things I tell you is that I've, I've grown and changed so much in this last uh, couple of years as I started doing funerals because of your families. So those of you out there that, that I've gotten the, the, the pleasure to, to work alongside with on those, your families, your stories out of those people's lives that you lost have continued to change the way that I look at the world. I have this new appreciation and understanding what, what Jesus meant when he sat down and looked at his followers and he looked them in the eye and said, you are the light of the world. He said, let your light shine before men that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. And over and over again, as I, as I serve families and walk alongside them, I see the light that those people leave and it changes me. And it changes me a lot. So today, they asked me to bridge us between these two series, like Jim said. And so if, if you haven't been around for a little bit or maybe you're brand new, I just wanna catch you up to what we've been doing because for the last several series, we've been looking at one specific moment in Jesus's ministry. So Jesus was just walking with his friends one day and he climbed a mountain and he gave this like, maybe it'll take you five to seven minutes to read sermon where he just highlighted a bunch of stuff about real life. And, and it doesn't take that long to read, but when you really sit down and think about it and what Jim and Ben have been unpacking for us and they've done such a good job, is that when you look at the words he used, and the language he spoke them in. When you look at the culture he was talking to, new meanings and new avenues open up and new stuff happens where you start to understand it in a brand new way. And so we've been looking at these words that Jesus spoke so long ago that still for us today, as we hear them and see them, it changes the way that we understand our own lives. And it's been really, really eye-opening. And I'll get back to that in a second. But next week, like Jim said on his video, he's kicking off a series that we affectionately call a man series around here. And if you've been around for any length of time, I don't know if it averages maybe about once every 18 months or so, Jim's kicked one of these off, where he spends uh, his energy and his teaching time really honestly challenging men. 
And when he first started on that path, I'm just gonna be honest, it was a little bit threatening to me. Like they don't put a guy like me on a brochure for manhood. (laughs) Like I'm just being honest. I don't hunt, I don't fish. I like sports, but I'm not good at them. I shot a gun one time. I wasn't gonna tell Jim this, so if he hears this, don't, don't let him know. But I shot a gun one time and it hit me in the face and I never did it again. <laughs> so, and, and I probably won't. But that's okay, because here's what's true. I constantly wanna do this. I wanna be rethinking the man that I am. The husband that I am, the father that I am. The stuff that I get right and the stuff that I get wrong. And I wanna be better at those things. And so for me, I lean into these series because it matters that much. And, and I, you know, I, I want to say this on the, on the other side of the whole thing, because from time to time I, I have this conversation. These man series, they're not at the expense of women. And I want to be really clear on that. What Jim's goal and aim in this series is, is that my brokenness as a man, all the places that I fall short as a man, guess who gets that first? My wife, right? She's the first person that experiences that. And then my kids, and then unfortunately everybody else in my life. But the, the truth of it, is that as Jim teaches us men how to biblically chase after what God wants for us, that's at the benefit of our entire church, it's at the benefit of every single one of our families, and it's a really, really good thing. So I just wanna say this, biblical principles aren't just for men, they're not just for women, they're for everybody. So over these next six weeks as Jim's teaching us, I really wanna say this to both men and women in the room, it's gonna be a really, really rich six weeks and I can't wait for it. So I hope you guys will be joining us, it's gonna be so good. But so today, as I bridge this, the reason we call this rethink is, is really this. Jim accidentally called me young. You guys catch that? That was great. I'm 40. I'm not young. That's great. So I'm a middle-aged teacher. But um, all of the campus pastors who are young, they are young and handsome. And if they're watching online, I don't like you. But um, <laughs> we got together and we sat down and we started talking about the Sermon on the Mount, the stuff that we'd heard taught, the stuff that hit, uh, hit our hearts in new ways. Or maybe it, it was something that I thought I'd already rethought, but then I heard it taught and I had to think, think about it again. I had to rethink it a whole new way. And we started just kind of throwing out some ideas, talking a little bit, and we were reevaluating constantly what was going on in our life. Or as Jim asked me, he looked at me and he said, what impacts you from Jesus's words and where did that come from upstream in your life? And here's what he meant. What's the origin of the stuff in my life that I know I wish was different? And honestly, guys, as soon as I heard that we were gonna kind of pick something out from those teachings, I was a little bit scared because I knew immediately what it had to be for me. And it's the topic of anger. And for me, it's for a lot of reasons, but I just wanna unpack a few of them. The truth is that um, I've always had a short fuse and and sometimes I still do. I grew up as a kid, I grew up in San Diego. And maybe you have some stereotypes of what people from San Diego are like and I fit almost all of them and that's okay, I don't mind. But the one that I really fit is that I'm pretty laid back. Like I can sit around and I can talk about skateboarding or surfing or I can watch skateboarding movies all day. Uh, I, I, I can talk about just baseball and have fun and I, like I don't mind just going with the flow. Uh, if somebody says we're gonna do this thing, most of the time I'm cool with it until I'm not, right? I hit a breaking point and then something happens in my heart that I don't like. And growing up, I got into trouble a lot. I didn't get into trouble the way where I would lose my temper and, and get a whole bunch of fights or anything like that. But if you've been around here for any amount of time, this probably won't surprise you, but I love to interrupt class and tell jokes. And I would mock the teachers. I would, if you're a teacher in here, I'm so sorry. I still feel every single day I think about it, it's awful. But I would do that and the teachers are like, if you just be quiet, I'll give you two minutes at the end of class. It's that old story. That was my life growing up. And I did that over and over again. And this might not surprise you either, but when I was passionate about something like football or something like that, I could run my mouth a little bit and get into some arguments that way and keep going and going. 
I get my friends and I in trouble when we get kicked out of places skateboarding, whatever that might look like. Uh, I got my entire seventh grade class sent to the principal, class sent to the principal one time. The entire class, it was really awesome. But um, <laughs> this is the kind of kid I was. My favorite thing to do was to get two people mad at each other and then walk away and watch what happens. I know, it's, it's terrible. It was really fun though. I didn't know Jesus, <laughs> spoiler alert. Um, some of my only memories from elementary and middle school really are those moments, whether I started a verbal or physical fight, but all that stuff came from the same root, my temper, all my temper. I grew up a little bit, I have two sisters who probably have horrific stories, uh, I don't wanna hear them, but uh, I grew up a little bit, they might say I didn't, and in, in college, I went up to college in Greeley, and I was an 18-year-old, and I discovered Jesus in my dorm room reading the Bible one night. Uh, it's a longer story that, that I'll tell another time, but at that moment, uh, my life didn't completely change. I, I, wasn't, I didn't wake up the next morning and uh, you know, have a suit on and go out and spread the word. <laughs> that was what my life looked like. But I had this moment where I understood that Jesus is real. And so I got into a little bit more trouble. Uh, I'm not gonna lie, the next couple of months maybe were some of the worst months I had in my life because I had this brand new poll where I knew something was supposed to be different, but I didn't know how to do it. But here's what I realized. I realized at that moment that life doesn't have to look like it did right then all the time. I didn't have to always be causing trouble. I didn't always have to be the funniest person in the room. I didn't always have to be doing something crazy. And over time, all this stuff has morphed and my anger is different than maybe it used to be. I feel like I can deal with a lot more now. I'm about 20 years into following Jesus, but the breaking point always eventually comes because that fuse is probably still just as short, but I think the metaphor here maybe is this. It's harder to light it, but once it's lit, it pops. And here's the truth. My family are the ones who deal with it the most. They get the brunt of it because if I'm holding in something from work, I don't go into Jim's office and start yelling at him because I'm not dumb, right? You've seen him, right? But also, I'm an adult who wants to keep my job. I know. I want, to do, I want to keep my job, and I have to learn how to be more mature in that stuff. But here's what happens. I stuff it down. I take it home with me. And eventually, something really dumb, like my kids arguing over Monopoly or my kids disobeying me over a video game or something really dumb like that makes me lose my mind. Or maybe this. A car changes lanes in front of me without using their turn signal and I lose my mind. If you do that, come explain it to me. Why would you do that? I don't get it. But uh, it's a trigger for me, and all of a sudden I find myself in my car screaming, and I don't understand where it came from. And here's the truth. I always pick really bad times for it, and it's usually in public, right? I don't know if anybody can relate to that. Sometimes it's around sports, whether it's playing basketball. I got kicked out of the UNC intramurals, uh, 1996. I'm super proud of it. Um, I'm not proud of that at all. Uh, I got kicked out of the YMCA when I was a youth pastor because I got into it with the ref, like stuff like that that's just like, what is wrong with you, right? But probably the most recent one was about a year ago or last baseball season. I took my three kids uh, to a baseball game. We were walking from the car to Coors Field and I was really excited. It's just the four of us were out for the night. My team that I grew up cheering for was in town. I've brainwashed my kids effectively. They love them too. So we're walking into the stadium and all of a sudden they start to pick at each other. And if you're a parent, you know this, you know this drill, right? It's so all the stuff where you're like, I'm gonna turn this car around kind of stuff. So we're walking to the gate. I'm like, we can go home. I don't mind. I didn't pay for these tickets. Someone gave them to me. We can just go home right now. And I, I'm lecturing them. Stuff calms down. Stuff calms down. It gets a little bit crazy again. Stuff calms down. We get to the gate. And just as I'm about to get the tickets out and hand them over, one of my kids, maybe, maybe a guy, maybe a girl, it's probably a girl, she yells, get off my foot, you jerk, and starts yelling at one of her brothers. And then I turn around, and my immediate response is, what are you doing? What's wrong with you? And she yells, 
He's always stepping on my foot, which is ludicrous, right? He's trying to make me mad. And so I lose my temper and I start yelling, well, it looks like he, he did his job, mission accomplished. Who's the jerk now, right? I, I yell that out on the sidewalk. Not a great moment. We all collect ourselves. We all cry a little bit. I don't know if I did, I probably did. And uh, we turn around, I hand the tickets to the sweet lady at the gate and she goes, well, hi, Pastor Zach. It was a great moment in life, and I'm, sadly, I'm, sad, I'm sad to say there's a very true story. But here's what's even worse than those kind of moments. It's the moments at home when I turn minor disagreements with my wife into cold shoulders or slammed doors or sleeping on the couch or whatever that might look like. Because of this, it's easier to do all of that than to, conf- than to confront whatever it is that I'm compensating for. Uh, I'm trying to be a little bit maybe over-vulnerable with this because this is what I really believe. Whether it's anger for you or something else, I believe that every single one of us in this room today has a version of this that we're trying to figure out. We're trying to figure out why it is that we trip over that thing over and over again. Because the truth about my anger is it's not that often that I go crazy. It's not that often that that fuse pops and that life gets crazy. But it's often enough that when I heard Jim teach this from Matthew 5, 22, a few months back, uh, Jesus's words, he says this, but I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council, and whoever says you fool will be liable to the hell of fire. When I heard him say that, it made me stop and take notice. The hell of fire is not a light sentence, right? It's not a light phrase. But here's the truth about the anger in my life, and I think a lot of you can relate to this. It's an automatic response to whatever's going on in my heart. See, I've programmed myself to stuff things down that are bothering me, and I really do think this. I think in my heart when I'm doing that, I think, I'm dealing with that right now. I'm figuring that out. Or, or I think maybe I'm being a better person or a bigger person to not just explode right there and just stuff it down and let it be there. But the truth is this. What actually happens is that when I stuff that anger down, it starts to grow. And it adds resentment to the situation. It adds a story that I made up about it, whether it's an argument at work or with some barista. Guys, I went to Starbucks this morning at 7.30 and they were closed. And I, I'm, man, good thing nobody was there. I might have lost my mind. But what is it about me that makes me that angry about something that doesn't matter? A car in traffic, a blinker that's not turned on. That resentment, that story, it grows and it grows. And really, if you pay attention to what Jesus is really saying in those few sentences, he's naming three real specific and different kinds of anger. He names brooding anger, which is really just dark, deep dark and in our soul. It's that kind of anger that we have that we can't understand where it came from. Maybe we have no, no real like origin story for it. We don't know where it came from, but it's there. He talks about anger that keeps a record. You know, anger that, that says on January 6th at 7.30, Starbucks was not open. Or anger that seeks revenge. Three very different kinds of anger that when they're together is a recipe for disaster. And I don't know about you guys, but I struggle every day with all three of those. And here's what I believe. I believe that we live in a very angry time. I think you can see it, like when I stop at a stoplight and I see people yelling at each other, I've seen a couple pretty good fights on the side of the road from people that are driving that. I don't know what caused that. You turn on the TV and you go to CNN or Fox News and there's a bunch of people yelling at each other about something I don't understand and everywhere in between. See, this is what I do. I try to fool myself and I tell myself that the kind of anger I display is righteous anger. The kind of anger that Jesus showed, because we know that Jesus got angry. And Jesus got angry about things that were injustices that God was angry about. Jesus didn't turn tables over in the temple because somebody's donkey cut him off without a blinker, right? <laughs> Jesus did 
Jesus did stuff that mattered. He got angry about things that really mattered. And so like Jesus, I should reserve my anger for things like injustice, because stuff like that matters to me. I see people, I see families every single day that are losing their loved ones to the opioid crisis. I see families that, that go homeless for things that they should have been able to control. People, people suffering in all different kinds of ways, sex trafficking, racism, terrorism, stuff that really matters to me. But that's not the stuff that gets me fired up most of the time. That's not the stuff that makes me angry. My own wants and desires do. It's the stuffed down anger, the monster that's grown into because it wants to win and most of the time it usually at least makes its presence known. And here's what it really is. Pure and simple, it's the struggle between the person that I want to be through Jesus and the person that my sinful self wants to hold on to. And, I, and as I've been looking at this, uh, maybe you guys, uh, I don't know what tradition you come from, no faith tradition, maybe you grew up in like a real traditional church, but we talk about a guy named Paul here all the time that wrote a whole bunch of the New Testament. He wrote letters to churches primarily. And Paul, maybe you heard him as the Apostle Paul at whatever church you grew up in. He, he addresses these heart issues like nobody, like nobody else outside of Jesus. He talks about this kind of stuff over and over again. And in these letters, one of my favorite ones is, is one that he wrote to a young church in a city called Galatia. And the church was brand new, and it was struggling with something real specific. It was trying to unify two groups of really different people. So the message of Jesus reached this church, this city, and they founded this church with this culturally different subset of people. They were different racially, religiously, politically. And when the message of Jesus got there, the task of this young church was instead of having them divided in those things, for them to figure out a way to spur them towards trusting that the spirit of God that they now had in them was all that mattered. That the, common, the commonality of having Jesus was all that really mattered. And that any obstacle they faced could be overcome through the Holy Spirit and all that it produces. So he wrote this letter to them, letting them know kind of where they were missing it. And he says this, he says, now the works of the flesh are evident. So really what he's saying there is like, when you just go after the thing that's closest to you, it's evident what happens. Or as paraphrase that I love puts it this way, it's obvious what kind of life develops out of trying to get your own way all the time. And Paul, he just calls it out and he basically says this, we all know what we're gonna get when we chase after things that our flesh wants, trying to get our own way, trying to look out for number one and not care. Honestly, really what happens to anyone else. And I think that most of the time, it's not necessarily that someone wishes harm to other people or that, that I don't really care about somebody, but it's really this. I'm gonna take care of my business first and what happens to other people, it happens. We, maybe we can figure that out later. But that's the kind of life that we get when our flesh is winning, when we just look out for ourselves. So Paul drops that right there. He drops this really, this really honestly, like stunning start. And then he says this. He, he starts a list of all these really horrible things. We're gonna look at them together here in a second. He starts this list, when you're after your own way all the time, here's what you get. But the reason that it's the most brutal to me is this. I, I, I read this in multiple places because I wanted to make sure it was right. Paul's not talking about those people. Like, he's not talking about people who don't know who Jesus is and they're just living a life completely ignorant of the fact that they're supposed to do something different. Paul is saying, hey, Christians, hey, followers of Jesus, when you try to live life your own way and get what you want all the time, here's what happens. And he's really saying this, you know you're gonna get it, but you do it anyways. And, and I wanna say this, I'm pointing a finger at myself this morning because this is convicting to me. Because I think every single one of my, like every single one of the things on this list, I can see a little bit of truth in my own life from. And so I wanna say, we're not the kind of church that says, this is you, you, you bad people, because that's not what we're up to right here. 
What we're up to right here is I want to talk about what it looks like for us to take with the things that Paul's about to list and do something with them. So see if anything strikes a chord with you on this list. Here's what Paul says. It's obvious what kind of life develops out of trying to get your own way all the time. Repetitive, loveless, cheap sex. A stinking accumulation of mental and emotional garbage. Frenzied and joyless grabs for happiness. Trinket or toy gods, a god you could control. Magic show religion. God, wow me. Paranoid loneliness. Cutthroat competition. All-consuming yet never satisfied wants. A brutal temper. An impotence to love or be loved. Divided homes and divided lives. Small-minded and lopsided pursuits. The vicious habit of depersonalizing everyone into a rival. Uncontrolled and uncontrollable addictions. Ugly parodies of community. And if that's not bad enough, he says, I got a bunch more I could say. I could go on. And honestly, that's a lot. And to me, that's a very heavy list. So that thing pops over and over again with things that are at least a little bit true for me. And when I talk about the origin of things in my life, the upstream of what, what Paul calls here a brutal temper, I can confidently say that my desire to do things my own way, my desire to control the outcomes of my life, continually, continually leads me back to that same stuffed anger that results in mental and emotional garbage. Joyless grabs at happiness, depersonalizing people, people that I like into rivals, and probably a whole bunch more if I'm being honest. And the truth is this, is that nobody in here can, can possibly say they're immune to this list. Every single one of us appears on it multiple times. But here, here's what else is true. This doesn't have to be the story of our lives. It doesn't have to be the cycle that we live in where we figure it out for a little bit and then it comes back. When Jim was talking about God Behind Bars in that video just a minute ago, a, a group of us went out there to see uh, God Behind Bars in action a few weeks ago, maybe three weeks ago, at a church in Las Vegas. And when you walk into this church, there's a big mural as you walk into the, to the lobby, and it's really cool. It just says, it's okay not to be okay, which I think is powerful. And I want to say this, if that describes you in your life where you're like, that's where I'm at, I just want to say welcome to Flatirons, because this is a safe place where you can be who you really are where you can be struggling with the things that you're struggling with and you can ask Jesus to work on you. Because I really think that's all we're up to in this room every single week. From Jim all the way to the person who walked in here for the first time today, we're just a group of people trying to figure out what it looks like to have Jesus make us better. And I run through this thing, I, I keep running through this filter of rethinking uh, everything that I see. And when I rethink this and, and the way that I wanna live, this is what I think about this. I really do believe it's okay not to be okay. But what's not okay is never trying to get past it, never trying to figure it out, never trying to get okay. So the questions I have, and I have a bunch of them, and the first one is this, well, how do you get okay, especially when life's really hard or life feels out of control? And I wanna say this, instead of trying to control outcomes, because that's what I do, instead of trying to figure out how to be a better person, whatever that even means, or how to keep rules that would lead me away from behaviors that are sinful, my focus needs to be on figuring out what kind of life Jesus really offers. Why is it better? And over and over again, no matter how I, I try to slice it, the only way to do that is to spend time with him. To spend time with Jesus, and, and I wanna look at that. Because to start, for me personally, here's the truth that I have to face. My anger, my resentment, my fear is all rooted in some things I can control and some things that I can't. And whatever the, th the thing is that you struggle with that comes to mind immediately for you, your situations, they have uncontrollable elements and they have controllable elements. Here's what I believe. The paces of our lives, we all lead these, lead these crazy lives that leave us tired, worn out, maybe even burned out. 
We face pressures at work or at school or whatever that looks like for you in our relationships, in our culture, our society. They don't have easy answers and they don't have pretty bows to tie on them. Because I think this in 2019, the way that our culture is, we live in a pressure cooker. We have this news cycle that won't let us breathe with every bad story possible refreshing itself over and over again and stressing us out. Then we choose sides on these issues and we make those people who disagree with us two-dimensional rivals or enemies. And this availability of information, it gives us overload. I, I think this social media makes us feel like we can't do anything as good as anyone else and that our life's never gonna measure up. And then here's the worst part to me. Then it sucks away all of our free time. I actually just got the notification right before I came out. There's this new screen time app that tells you how many hours you wasted last week looking at your phone. And it's terrifying, right? And I get that report every Sunday morning and then I go, oh my gosh, I need to do something about that. And then I go home and I do it again, right? If you're a parent in here, and I know most of you are, uh, you know how hard that is. Every day, in general, I believe this, the parent that spends the most time with the, with the kids, they feel this in ways that those of us who are, who are at work most of the time can't feel. And I wanna say this, I know most of the time that's you moms. I know some of you dads, but most of the time that's you moms. And you're juggling all the stuff that you already do, whether it is that you work outside the home, uh, you're, you're making sure that all the kids get where they're supposed to go. You're doing all the stuff that you do and it's tiring. And then the kids don't appreciate it. And then you're frustrated. And then the person who comes home, whether it's your husband or wife, they come home and they don't understand. And it's just tiring and it's a cycle and it just leads to burnout. I'm in awe of what moms are able to do. My wife goes away for like four hours and I'm crying. Like it's unbelievable. You're tired in a way that few people get. But here's the truth for all of us in this culture, this pressure cooker that we live in. We're tired and we need help. So the next question I have is this, what's it mean to spend time with Jesus? Honestly, for some of us in here, that kind of sounds strange. I used to picture when somebody would say something like that, I'm like, you spend time with Jesus. Is that like Luke with Yoda when he was a hologram? Like, what's that look like? I can't see him. Or maybe that's something that really super religious or faithful people get that I'm never gonna understand. And here's what it is, that, that famous speech, that famous sermon that Jesus gave on the mountain, just a few chapters later in the book of Matthew, Jesus extends this invitation that I really believe is stunning when you look at it in the culture that he gave it to. Because he tells his followers this, he says, God has trusted him with all things. I want you to think about that, everything. Like it doesn't translate to anything else. He says, God's given me everything. So all the stuff that you want me to know and all the stuff that you don't, I'm in control of all of it the way the world works, every little detail. Jesus is in control of it. And he looks at them and he says, the only way that you will ever know God is to know me. That's what got him killed, is stuff like that. And looking at it a couple thousand years later, I don't think that the, that the shock or the, the, uh, the strength of that has to be watered down at all. Jesus says the only way to know God who created you is through him. In the context of this today, in my anger and the things that I need to give him in all things, the only way for me to figure this out through Jesus is the only way. It's not through good deeds. It's not through trying to not get mad. It's not through rule keeping. It's not through any kind of alternate philosophy or you know, the secret or something. It's not through hard work. It's not through having the right politics. It's not anything else but Jesus. Because we can't do enough and we can't earn it. But for some reason, the way that I'm wired, I don't know if it's our culture, it's just me, I continue to jump on a, that hamster wheel of running and thinking if I just run hard enough, fast enough, or the right way, maybe I'll figure this out on my own. But Jesus couldn't be any more clear. And he follows it up with this, this next thing that he says. He looks at his followers and he proclaims something that is actually life-changing. 
And I believe, this, I believe this, as he looked at them in the eyes, he called them the light of the world. He's really saying this. He's saying, you carry me with you everywhere you go. So when you encounter darkness, you have the light of Christ in you. When you go up against something that you can't figure out, I'm with you. And then he goes to that fast forward. And I really believe this, through space and time, he's looking in the eyes of you and I today. And he sees our tired, weary, broken souls. And he invites us into what he's up to. And he says this. He says, are you tired? Are you worn out? Are you burned out on religion, which this is keeping rules? He says this, come to me. Get away with me and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. Freely and lightly. So what's that mean? What's it mean to go to Jesus and to be with him? Because here's what it's not. It's not a, a religious box checking of, of reading the right Bible verses at the right time of day in the right order. And it's not some spiritual mumbo jumbo. It's not some code word. It's not saying the right prayer at the right time. Here's what I think it is. I think it's not as much of a mystery or as difficult as we make it. Here's what I believe Jesus is inviting us into in that passage. I, I believe this. It's surrender where we wish for control. We give up so much, but we get so much more back. It's a peace, it's, it's real rest where we're tempted at anger or lust or excess drink or whatever that thing is for us. And instead of trying to swim against the current of the world alone and saying, I can figure this out, Jesus invites us into what he calls the unforced rhythms of grace. It's an invitation to seeking mercy and grace in place of those automatic responses that we programmed into our lives. And here's the truth. Uh, Jim gave me this, and I think it's really good. Only you can really know what that looks like for you. But here's what I believe. The first step is trying. It's just practicing. Practice asking God into the chaos that you carry in your life or into the things that are really ordered and well and are going really great. Saying this to him, like he said, all things have been given to me, is saying to him back, all things are yours. I give you access and permission to all of it. And the truth is this for me and my anger, when I am allowing God into all things and all places, this resets my auto responses. It resets the way I program myself and it gives me a chance to really experience life with Jesus. Paul has some ideas too. When you go back to that, to that list in the book of Galatians, in Galatians 5, he sees that there's an alternative. There's something for everything on that list that if you give everything up to him, if you spend time with him, if you look into his unforced rhythms of grace and take a real rest, something different happens. Because see, that first list, all that horrible stuff, that list is the stuff that I, I struggle with and I fear that I'm never gonna get under control. But when we look to Jesus and he runs ahead of us and we follow in his footsteps, we let the spirit of God guide us instead of our flesh, Paul says we get a second list. And that's what he says. He says all those things on that first list being said. He says this, but the fruit of the Spirit, so the result of following after the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, instead of trying to get our own way all the time, is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And then he says this, 
He says, those who belong to Jesus, who say, Jesus, you can have it all. I need you. Can defeat sin by his death and his resurrection and replace the desires and actions of that first list with the second one. It says this, it says, since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. The unforced rhythms of grace. And here's what's true at the end of the day. While it's okay not to be okay, I really believe this as a people that are light in a dark world, that are beacons of hope in an angry and divided world, we can chase after the traits on this second list instead of the first one if we really want to. Here's what I want to tell you about this church. If you walk in here today for the first time or the millionth time, if you find yourself lost or desperate or isolated, welcome to Flatirons because me too. If you can't find control in your life, welcome in. If you keep trying and you're on that hamster wheel and you're running, but it just seems too hard, well, you're in the right place because this church and this campus, we have a place for you here and we get it because that's what we're going through too. But here's what I wanna do. I wanna practice today what it really looks like to say to God, instead of just going after that thing that trips me up over and over again, I wanna, I wanna just try the other way. I wanna try to experience the kind of grace that can revolutionize my life. And here's what we're really gonna try. We're gonna practice this, letting ourselves off the mat in this crazy, chaotic life that we live. So I want you to think of your own brand of doubting or whatever it might look like for you. If it's anger, that's an easy one. I just talked about it. But I think all of you, every single one of us in here knows the thing that trips us up over and over again. I just want you to hold that in your heart for a second. Because we all have our own brand of doubting that, that God can do anything with it. So I want you to take all those not good enoughs and all those why tries and all those Jesus wouldn't understand anyways, and I want you to put those aside. I want you to say, Jesus, they're yours. You can have all of my excuses. You can have all of my doubts. You can just hold them for a minute. And I want you to ask God into that moment and say that I want something different. I wanna be with you. I wanna learn the unforced rhythms of grace and follow after you instead of following after the thing that I want most right here from my flesh. This is what it is, it's practice. Because sometimes we feel like I'm doing that and nothing's working and I don't know why and it doesn't make any sense. But it's just another rep, it's another time to try, it's another practice to go after it and you just try again. You ask him to do it again and then you seek help. I say, I really believe this. When you surround yourself with people that make you remember who you wanna be, life gets better. When you're around people who give you an example and, and you can follow them along and they're walking right there with you, trying to figure out the, the unforced rhythm of grace and what that even means, life is better. And I just have four, maybe five things that I wanna leave you with walking out of this that you can say immediately, you can, you can go after one of these five things. The first one is this. We have something here on Friday nights called Shift. And if you've never heard of Shift, uh, one of my heroes, Lisa, who's just unbelievable, she has a team that creates this place for anyone with any struggle. And I was talking to her about this week and she said, there's a reputation that Shift on Friday nights is just for people who struggle with chemical issues. And that's not true. It's for anybody that's dealing with anything and that needs that, that in this, this season of their life, they need something to push them to a different place. It's every Friday night. So my first step would be go check that out. The second one is this, if you're a student, maybe you're in middle school or high school, and you're in this room and you want something better for your life, but you don't really know what, what that looks like or how to do it, I would tell you that you need to be at youth ministry. You need to be, Tuesday night is high school, and right now at 11 o'clock is middle school over there on the other side of the building. And that's the place where Lindsay and her team have created an environment that gives you the acceptance and the space that you need to figure out what it is that Jesus is saying to you as a teenager today. 
The third one is this. My small group has changed my life. And I know in this last season, I've heard really amazing stories of all the things that small groups are doing in people's lives. So as I hear those stories over and over again, I want to ask you this. If you joined a small group, I think Jim said 5,000 of us did. If you joined a small group and you saw a result out of that, that you said that really made a difference in my life, I want you to tell somebody about that even on your way out today, because I want everybody to be able to experience something like that. Online, we have groups online too. You can go check those out and figure out what that looks like. I want to say this too. If you joined one and you had a bad experience, because I know that happened, I just want to encourage you. That was everybody else's fault. That wasn't your fault. So try again, yeah? That wasn't you. And I have another one. It's volunteering. Traditionally here, most people I know met some of their best friends through volunteering, whether it's on guest services with Mick and her amazing team, uh, facilities with, with everything that they're doing over there. Or, or I have two specific opportunities. One is that next week at Saturday, on Saturday at 6, the kids ministry is doing a training right over here in the, the school space, and they'd love to have you there. And I have another one. Our student ministry needs men. They have an amazing program, but they have a bunch, of, a bunch of dudes that come from homes without dads, and they're struggling. They need men who are willing to step up in this season and go after something with them. So if that's something that, that strikes a chord in your heart, you can jump online and, and find a, a way to contact them, because our student ministry is looking for qualified men who want to get in there and just say, let's do this together. Want to know what qualifies you? You love Jesus, and you're trying. And my last thing is this. Next week, when Jim starts this man series, men and women... It's going to be challenging. And so maybe you're in here for the first time today and you limped in here and you really don't know what's going on, but you know that you want something different. And I would say, before you even try anything else, just come back. Come back next week and ask God to do something in your heart and life that, that will blow you away. But if nothing else, if you're like, I'm not ready for any of that, that's okay. I want to leave you with this. Jesus this morning, right now, he invites us into his way. It's a restful way. It's a patient way. It's, it's this grace that has a rhythm, an unforced rhythm, and over time it makes sense. And we start to feel the beat of what it really looks like to walk in it. And then we start to step with it and we understand that grace. And as we walk with Jesus and we understand that unforced rhythm of grace, this is what it does for us. It makes us loving, joyful, peaceful, patient, kind, faithful, gentle people who exhibit self-control. And it changes everything. Changes everything. We're going to sing another song together. I'm going to pray. If you guys would stand up with me, I just want to thank you guys for being such a gracious and kind church. And I'm going to pray for us this morning. God, I'm so thankful this morning as we walk into this room that you're up to something in each one of our lives. And God, some of us came in here expecting it and some of us didn't. But I know this. God, in all those automatic responses and all those places that I've programmed something into my life, where I think I know what I'm going to get and I'm trying to control it, I'm so thankful that you instead answer with Jesus. You look into those parts of my life that aren't okay. You look into those places where I choose that stuff from the first list and I chase after that because it's easy. And God, you answer it with Jesus who says, come to me. He teaches me to walk with him in this unforced way. I get to choose it. But God, as I, as I walk closer and closer, I start to understand what this beat looks like, what this grace looks like. And God, I pray this morning that as I try to chase after what it really looks like to replace everything from that first list with all the stuff from the second one, God, I just thank you that Jesus is the kind of God that loves me in a way where I get to exhibit joy and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness. And God, that ultimately it leads to a place where I get to understand what it means to be controlled. 
And God, I thank you that Jesus is that kind of Jesus. And I pray that this morning, as we walk out of this place, that as we understand that all things are his, that we would allow you to have them. And I pray this in Jesus' name, amen.